Thank you so much. I wonder when was the last time that you made every effort for something? Let's, um, let's see the face of someone who's making every effort. That is what making every effort physically can look like, particularly if you're an Olympic weightlifter like this guy is. Maybe for you it was uh, a mental effort or an emotional effort, but you had, you knew, this wasn't something you were just like, oh, I'll just do this. This wasn't a multitasking option. Uh, This wasn't something, among other things, this required every effort you had to make it possible. It's been the uh, Edinburgh Marathon Festival this weekend. People will be making every effort to beat their best time uh, or to run faster than the people who they work with and uh, are in the race with and all that kind of stuff. Chris, uh, in our office, along with Joel Hancock, one of our trustees, has been making every effort to get King's GDPR compliant for these last weeks. Many of you who are part of King's gave to our special offering a couple of weeks ago. You were making every effort to be generous and to trust God with your finances. Whatever it is from health or work or family challenges to maybe just getting to King's on time. You have to, there are some things that you just have to make every effort for. And we're focusing our attention in our current Sunday morning series uh, on a passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. Uh, And in chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, he encourages them to make every effort to make something happen, to give themselves so fully to it that they end up looking like our weightlifting friend here. Here's what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now there's a lot of strong language from Paul in this passage. He says, I urge you. He doesn't say, I've got a suggestion for you. He says, be completely humble and gentle. He doesn't say it would be good to you know, dial up the humility a little bit if you can, if you're able to, or be a bit more gentle from time to time. He doesn't say that. And then he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Not give it a go for a while, but throw your hands up in defeat the first time someone upsets you. Make every effort. Now, this wasn't any easier for the people in Paul's day uh, than it is for us today. And his letters also make that very clear as they describe and make reference to disagreements and disputes and things like that amongst Christians then. So given that that's the case, why not settle, you know, for something less? Something that doesn't make our veins pop with effort, either physically or more likely, you know, emotionally. And how can we do this? How can we make every effort? In Ephesians 4, when Paul is reminding us of why we're to make every effort to maintain unity, he lists some of the things that Christians have in common. 
says there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And today, we're going to focus on what one faith in that passage means. The word faith is used in two ways in the Bible. It is an action of believing that we are to do. But it is also used as a a phrase for the truths which we are to believe. And that is what Paul is using it for in this passage. He is saying that there is one set of truths that Christians believe. And this is what Paul and the other first apostles travelled the world preaching and teaching. In Jude uh, verse 3 it says, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Paul says to Timothy, who was in the next generation of church leaders, follow the pattern of the sound words that you heard from me. This faith is described in the most condensed form in Romans 10 verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the essence of the Christian message. But what exactly Jesus is Lord means and what the consequences of that are needs some explaining. And that's why God gave us a book full of revelation of himself and his purposes. But it's hard to answer the question, what does Jesus Lord mean by saying, well, read all this and understand it correctly. And so the earliest Christians formed short summaries or explanations of the key points of their faith. There are glimpses of these uh, in the New Testament. In the writings of the next generation of church leaders, we have references to a statement known as the rule of faith. And then over the following few centuries, the church produced a series of creeds. Creed comes from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe. They are about the faith. And that video that we just saw is a version of the Nicene Creed. It was formed in the 4th century primarily to give definition uh, to who God is. And that God is one and that God is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now creeds aren't the word of God like the Bible. But they perform a very helpful function of explaining to us some of what the Bible teaches. They aren't comprehensive. There are many really important things that aren't mentioned in uh, the creeds. But they are sufficient for marking out what is Christian truth about God. And this really matters. Jesus taught us that it really matters. He asked his disciples a question in Mark 8 verse 29. He said, who do you say I am? And they'd, they'd shared some other people's responses and then they shared, and they shared their own responses. And he, it's not that he graded them, but he said that he implied that some weren't right and some were right. If you asked a man or woman on the street of Edinburgh, who do you think Jesus is? If they thought that he uh, exists at all, um, they would say, well, I guess he, it seems that he was a good man and he seemed to have done and said some good things and people talk about him dying on a cross and I don't know why you're asking me questions. If you asked a Muslim, they would say that Jesus was a great prophet, but he was not God 
and he did not die on a cross. If you asked a Mormon, they might say that they believed uh, that Jesus was the firstborn spirit son of the divine father and divine mother, who then progressed to to deity in the spirit world before being conceived in in Mary's womb. He's divine, but he is completely separate from the father, who also, by the way, has flesh and bones. That's that is some of the original Mormon teaching. If you spoke to one of the polite young people we sometimes meet on our streets, they might say something different, uh, but that's where it came from. If you ask me, I would probably try to say something like what we just heard in that creed. And all four of those answers cannot be right. They are mutually exclusive statements. Jesus can't be fully God and not God. Jesus can't be of one being with the Father and completely separate to the Father. He can't be alive and dead. And it's so important that we recognize what things are right and what things aren't and that we make distinctions between them. Say, for example, let me just, I just want to reiterate this point because sometimes Christians say, oh, why are you so dogmatic about these things? Because they really matter, is the answer. Say, for example, you told a work colleague tomorrow, say, oh, what did you do over the weekend? And you said, oh, I went to King's Church Edinburgh on Sunday. And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that church. It's, uh, it's buildings on the Royal Mile, isn't it? You say, um, no, that's, that's not where we went to. And I, I don't think so. They're like, yeah, 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 that's the place that when you become a member of that church, they, they give you a tattoo uh, that says, I belong to King's Church. And you think, well, no, I, I don't, that hasn't happened to me. I don't, I don't think so. Most people's shoulders are usually covered, so I can't check, but I, I, don't, no, I don't think so. And they say, yeah, 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 no, I've heard of that church. That's the church where they, they, make, sure that they make you learn 500 miles by the proclaimers uh, by heart and then sing it unaccompanied in front of everyone from the stage in order to be saved. Yes? You say, no. <laughs> say, well, that's what I've been telling everyone. It would matter to you. It would matter to you that they were wrong. Just to be clear to any guests here today, they are wrong. <laughs> it matters, these things matter. What matters the most is what is true about God. Who God is and what he has done and what he has said to us about himself. These things matter because they are a matter of life and death. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In 1 John 4, verses 2 to 3, John's talking about messages and and, and revelations that different people get. He says, Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, i.e. is God and has come from God, is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. The creeds serve us by showing what God has revealed to us about himself by showing us what we can put our faith in. So they are important. They're so important that I don't just want us to 
watch a cool video about them. I want us to actually say them together. Uh, you're very free. If you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. You're free not to say this because we're going to say we believe some things that you might not yet believe. But I want to encourage the rest of us. We're going to put the words on the screen and I'd love us to read it together because it is a statement of our shared faith about who God is and what he's shown us. So, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, catholic and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. All Christians are united by this one faith, in this one faith. Baptists, Roman Catholics, Church of Scotland, people living in the first century to the 21st century, people in Chad and China and Cuba and Cowdenbeath, people who are eight years old, people who are 88 years old. When we say the creed, we are joining with millions of Christians around the world and throughout history in a statement of the faith that we all have in the one true God. If you are a Christian, you have far more in common with everyone pictured here than with your unbelieving neighbour who comes from the same town as you, than with your colleague who does the same job as you, than with your... uh, a person who enjoys the same incredibly niche hobby as you, who gets the same jokes as you. You could have an identical twin who didn't believe in Jesus, you would have more in common with any of those people on that screen than you did with them. Because this is what matters most. This is what life and death and existence is all about. And this is who our God is. Let's see how Paul uses the facts of this faith as described by the Nicene Creed to make the case for unity in his letter to the Ephesians. So the Creed says, We believe in one God, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Well, 
Paul came from a Jewish background and so he just simply assumes that God made everything. There's no mention of that directly in Ephesians because he's, going, he's not going over that kind of level of basic. But he does mention God being master of us all and he talks about God having no partiality among all his creation in Ephesians 6 verse 9. Every person you've ever seen or spoken to was made by God in the image of God and is the object of God's love and care and attention. You have never met anyone who is less than that, even if they might have been acting that way. So even if they behave in a manner that doesn't seem worthy of your effort, yet for God's sake, you should make every effort to treat them well. That's just all people. But now as Paul uh, gets into talk about Christians, he says, for us, uh, as the, sorry, the creed says, for us and for our salvation, Jesus came down from heaven and was made man. Ephesians 2, 17, and Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. We should make every effort for the sake of others because that is what Jesus did. In coming to earth, in living his life amongst us, in every decision he made, every word he spoke, every deed he performed, the fact that he set aside his divine glory so that we could come close to him and that he chose to serve us rather than be served, these were the outpourings of his love for us. And so we should follow that in how we live. The creed says, for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Ephesians 5 verse 2 says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. How he lived was how we are to live. He died a disgraceful death on a cross because of his love for wretched and rebellious people like you and me. This proves that Christ's love is exceedingly generous. And requires every effort on our part to reflect it. Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit, whom the creed identifies as God, the Lord, the giver of life, is the presence of God on earth today and has been given to every person who puts their trust in Jesus. So Ephesians 1 verse 13 says, We are not united by some shared practices or some shared good deeds because if we were, there would be hierarchy between us. There'd be division between us because not everyone would be able to do the same thing to the same degree. God has united us by giving each one of us his very presence. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit, God is in you and that is true of every other Christian you've ever met. Paul says that God is the Father and so does the creed. And the Father adopts Christians into his family. So we're all family. He said, Paul says that all believers belong to one body of whom Christ is the head. That's why the creed talks about one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Just to give a bit of extra definition, uh, Catholic with a small c means universal. So that's what, that's what the creed means. It means this is the whole church. This is all the believers. And climactically, Paul declares that God's intention is to unite all things in Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 10. And this will begin as the creed describes when he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. 
all the division that sin has caused will be removed. God's will will be done forevermore. There will be nothing but the presence of God and the glory of God and the love of God among us. And that's what we see in Revelation when we see a great crowd gathered from every tribe and tongue and nation. They are gathered to one throne and they sing with one voice praises to the one God. This is what the creed describes as the life of the world to come. The goal of history is that God is to have a people who are united to himself and therefore to one another. To live any other way is to be swimming against the tide of God's purposes. All of this is why Paul was not prepared to write about unity in the church as an optional extra but rather as something that we should make every effort to achieve. Both the explanation for why this is the case and the demonstration of how we can do this are found in the, context, in the content of the Christian faith. The creed shows some of these things to us. And we realise what we're in and what God has done is perhaps greater than what we are disagreeing with our friend about. Something else about the creed that helps us to keep unity as well. You may have noticed that Christians do disagree with each other despite the massive agreements that they have, which we have just said together. You may have even noticed a couple of hints of that uh, in the video. They, used, they changed the word Catholic to Christian because they didn't want you to think that it, they meant Catholic with a capital C because they would have some differences with the Catholic Church. If you know your church history, you'll know that the phrase that is in the creed that the Spirit proceed, proceeds from the Father and the Son was uh, inserted in the 6th century and was the cause of a big split between the Eastern and Western churches in the 11th century. You know, that's just the start of it really, isn't it? Now, some people say that all this arguing between Christians that we see around us is because we're just too concerned with all these details that don't matter. I hope I've reminded you today that the truth does matter. It really matters. But it can be helpful for us to understand that all of what we believe and all of what we do isn't at exactly the same level of importance. And a phrase, I've, uh, illustration I've heard to, to explain these different levels of importance is that some things are written in blood, some things are written in ink, and some things are written in pencil. What is written in blood is essential. What's written in ink is important, very important. What is written in pencil is preference. Blood cannot be changed. Ink cannot be changed easily. Pencil may be changed. What the creed says about God is written in blood. It is truth that Christians should die for rather than deny because it matters more than this present life. That Jesus is fully God and fully man is more important than someone holding a gun to your head. 
that he rose from the dead is absolutely vital to your salvation. You cannot be a Christian and not believe these things. You might like Christians, you might like hanging out with Christians, but if, if you don't believe what's written in blood, if you don't believe these summary statements, if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord, you aren't a Christian. And today may be the day when you realise that and realise you need to actually put your trust in him and in these things that they are true. Things written in ink are very important, but your salvation doesn't rest on them. There are many brilliant churches and Christians doing brilliant things for God's kingdom in this city and around the world who baptise babies, which we don't do here at King's. And they don't believe that uh, God the Holy Spirit gives his gifts to uh, his people today like prophecy, like speaking in tongues, interpretation as you heard this morning. Well, we do believe those things and we think they're really important. There are also Christians who are telling people things that are wrong about really important issues such as when life begins and when it ends about what marriage and gender are, about how we should uh, think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and other things that are, they are very, very important. Those things matter to us. They matter a lot to us. But we don't think that the churches who are doing those things aren't Christians. And there are people here in this church who are vegetarians. And there are others who eat meat, a lot. And whether you have a theology of what you eat or not, you'll be delighted to know that I do, it is a pencil level decision. Now the distinctions aren't always obvious because there are people who can say, well listen, the reason I eat this and I don't eat that is because of this and this and this and this and this and Jesus is Lord. The distinctions aren't always obvious. There are levels of importance within them. But I think the blood ink pencil idea is helpful for us to understand what we agree on, what we disagree on, how and why we do, and how and why we're to relate to those people who we have disagreements with because they give us categories to help us through on that. So at King's, we run a membership course two or three times a year. And it is for Christians because we want you to become a member of our church. So the blood issues... That's what we're looking for first. Are you a Christian? Do you believe these things? Then we spend pretty much the whole time of the course describing ink issues. Here's how it goes at King's. This is what leadership at King's is like. This is how we treat the Bible. This is how we treat you. This is what we expect of you as a member of this church. These are core doctrines of salvation, of the Holy Spirit, of the Bible, of a whole bunch of other things. These are ink things, to be honest, If you don't agree with us on these things, you probably aren't going to enjoy being part of this church and you probably can't be a member of this church because you're going to spend your whole time saying, I know they're saying these things all the time, but I disagree. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying that this church isn't going to work for you. And then there are some things within the membership course and other things you just know that just are preference. The volume of the music You might want to make a theological case for it. It's a preference. We choose to have it at a certain level. The layout of the chairs. It's a preference. When we have our meetings, it's a preference. 
Now, the preference comes from the key things that we believe that are in ink, and the key things that we believe are in ink do come from what is the blood truth. But having these distinctions, I think, are helpful, not just for how the things that we believe, but also how we behave with one another. Is this thing this person has done to you? Or is this thing that you are totally convinced is right? And everyone else around you doesn't seem to believe. Is it a pencil thing? Is it just one of those things? Or is it a really serious thing that actually does require serious care and attention? So last Saturday lunchtime, the royal wedding was on TV. And I was in another room because I had other things to do. But it was on, it was on our TV. And I, I could kind of hear what was going on without concentrating on it, when suddenly I noticed that someone was speaking in a manner unlike how people usually speak at Church of England royal weddings. And so I wanted to find out what that was. And I walked into the living room and saw Bishop Michael Curry in full flow, and I don't know what I enjoyed more, him or the, the reaction of people who just did not know what to do. <laughs> The people there are like, what is this? The commentators are like, what is this? Many of the things that he said and the style with which he said it, he showed the world something of Christian life that many people in the West certainly don't know exists. And so I was just delighted to see it. And I could say to him, amen, brother, because that is what he and I are. We are both sons of God through the plan of the Father that Jesus has achieved for us, that the Spirit has worked in us, we are so profoundly united. We are bound by blood. We are part of the one Catholic, small c, and apostolic church. But I wouldn't want to be a member of the same church as him. Because some of the things that he believes and practices and some of the things that I believe and practice are very different. And we'd be in serious disagreement on them. And he would say to me, no, I think you're really, really wrong on that. And I'd say to him, I know, because I think you're really, really wrong on that. Now, some of them might just be pencil preferences, but some of them are ink-level significant. But because he and I can both say the creed together, we are united by what matters most. We are united by blood. And we can, this is the really important point, we can therefore challenge each other and disagree strongly without violating our essential unity in Christ. We can do these things in love. Not out of some kind of just uh, sentimental, oh, we should be nice to one another. No, no, no. No, because of who God is and what he's revealed to us about himself and what he has done for all of us. Because we have these shared things not just that we're standing on, but that are in us, we're able to disagree and yet still be united. If that's true for someone who I have never met from a very different church tradition, how much more must it be the case for us here as a family at King's? All the reasons and resources that Christians have to make every effort to keep unity come from our faith. The Nicene Creed reminds us of these things, pointing us towards the God of the gospel, the God who has revealed himself definitively in his word. Reminds us of the spirit 
who's been given to every believer of a for, as a foretaste of our shared eternity to come. Reminds us and teaches us of the Son, the head of the one body, the church, who lived among us and died for us to save us because of his great love for us. And it reminds us and points us towards the Father who made us all and who has adopted every Christian into his family because of his great love for us. And for the fulfillment of his plan to unite all things in Jesus. This is the faith which a divided world desperately needs to hear about. And So we are to live it out and we are to sing it together, which is what we are going to do now. And I'm going to make one more fussy point, even though I'm united in so many ways with the people who wrote this song, which is that when they, uh, in the chorus and a few other points, they're going to, they, the line they wrote says, I believe. And that's true. But I think it's far more helpful to sing, we believe. And so as the words come up on the screen, when it says we, say I. Oh yeah, the other way around. <laughs> See, you already know. I don't even need to say it. Let's stand. Let's sing together.